0: Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. We are in the middle of September, believe it or not, 2022. It is uh, 30 good decisions. We've been just talking about make a good decision every day. Like Today I'm going to spend a little bit more time in prayer. Today I'm going to reconnect with that's brother or sister that I've fallen away from, had a relationship problem with today. I'm going to break the ice at work with this person that I've had a hard time getting along with today. I'm going to move a little bit closer to my goal of losing weight or stopping smoking or not drinking or whatever it is, getting more active, working on my finances, making a good decision today, make a good decision, not to click on a website, not to send that text message to do this or do that or not do this or do that. And, and by the end of the month, if we just stack these little wins, when you when you set a goal or make an intention, and you follow through, when you when you in, intend to do something and you actually do it, you get this incredible boost. In your neurochemistry, you start to believe in yourself a little more and you start to stack these wins and progress starts happening. So we're making good decisions. What's yours going to be? Listen, I would love to hear from you. Speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K, speakpipe, P-I-P-E, speakpipe.com slash Dr. Lee Warren is the voicemail. You can always send us a voicemail. Lisa and Tata and I listen to these. We pray over them. We use a lot of them on the show. And I would love to hear from you. What's a good decision you've made? What's some struggles that you have? Maybe some ideas that you have for people who could be on the show or or hey, I'm so-and-so from Wichita Falls, Texas and I would like to hear you know, an episode about anxiety or whatever. Send us suggestions and ideas and we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to put you on the show. Um, We've got a lot of changes coming to the podcast here. I'm going to give you some more structure, some more predictability. Um, we kind of started calling these episodes the last few days season six just because I'm kind of obsessive compulsive when we get to 100 episodes i like to start the new season but we got some things that we're going to shake up Um, and one of them is what's going to happen on Fridays so not every Friday but when I have a special guest on the podcast, I love to interview people who have great stories or people who've overcome great adversity or people who've accomplished tremendous things or written books that have moved me personally in different ways. And now that the podcast has kind of gotten some traction, and I, especially after the Christian Book Award, I got a little bit of, of notice within the Christian publishing industry. And, and for the first time, publishers started reaching out to me to say, hey, we've got this particular author that we think would be a great fit for your show. And that's where i Jared Stevens and Mitchell Lee and, and uh, all these books that we've had featured on the show. Um, and we've had some great guests that have come out of that. And so when I have an, a, a conversation with someone, we're going to play those, we're going to tend to play those on Fridays. So we're going to have Friday conversations. So this um idea that I had to sort of feature uh, these conversations on Fridays, if we, if we don't have a guest for that day, I may bring you back an old one, or we may talk about something completely different on Fridays. But when we have a conversation, we're going to play we're going to play them on Fridays, unless there's a really compelling reason to do them on a different day, like Dr. Daniel Amon for Mind Change Monday two weeks ago. Um, so today, I thought, as we get started with this idea of Friday Conversations, the one that's probably moved me and influenced me the most over the years is my favorite all-time favorite and most influential Christian writer, Philip Yancey. And if you haven't listened to the podcast for very long, or if you're pretty new around here, especially if you don't really read Christian literature, Philip Yancey is probably—well, I shouldn't say probably—without really hyperbole, Philip Yancey is probably more responsible. Said it again, <laughs> probably Philip Yancey is more responsible for Lee Warren's rebuilt and resurrected Christian faith than anybody else on the planet Earth. I had some um, struggles intellectually and theologically with some of the things that I grew up believing that when I smashed into life, they didn't quite work. And and um, fortunately, I had a great upbringing by parents who taught me to seek the Word of God and try to find answers in the Word. And so I found my way Through the Word and prayer and search and struggle and kindness and mercy of our Savior, and I found my way back to faith. But along the way, I found Philippians' writings. And Philippians' writings really kind of turned me back around. And then later in life, when I started writing my own books, through a series of incredible events that could only be described as God-ordained interventions, Philip read one of my books and ultimately opened the door for me to be introduced to his agent, Kathy Homers, who became my agent and ultimately led to the publication of my first book, No Place to Hide. Uh, he's endorsed. He wrote the afterword. Uh, I've seen the interview. And Philip Yancey has just been, become a real friend and an incredible mentor and guide for me. And so it would be appropriate um, to bring you back my very first conversation on the podcast from way back in 2015 with Philip Yancey, the first time we ever spoke together uh, on that was recorded and released way back on the old You Start Today podcast. And it's, it's a conversation worth listening to. Philip has an unbelievable story. And I'm going to bring you, I think, uh, all of the conversations that I've had with Philip in the coming weeks. We'll have Friday conversations with Philip Yancey just to reintroduce you to him. And if you've never read Philip Yancey, I would start with What's So Amazing About Grace and The Jesus I Never Knew. Friend, trust me, if you've never read those two books, you really need to take a look at them. They will make an impact in your life. If you are a longtime Christian and you maybe feel you need to go deeper, you want to go more all in with him, those two books will get you started Philippians, he's not easy to read. He's not superficial. It's not five steps to a brand new faith or any of that stuff. It's not catchy tweets or any of those things. It's deep, personal, intimate exploration of who Jesus really is, what this life is all about, and the alternatives of having faith or not and Philip's work has been monumental in my life, and I think it'll be helpful to you. So without further ado, we're going to get into the very first conversation I ever had with Philip Yancey on the podcast back in 2015. I called it Get That Lined Up because of something he says during this episode. I think it'll be beneficial to you. Later this month, I already have three new conversations scheduled with different writers who are incredible, and I'm so excited to bring you several amazing Friday conversations in coming weeks, and then hopefully this will be something that goes on and on. We've had several people write in lately with ideas of new people that I no, don't know and aren't connected to um, that we may be able to eventually connect with and bring on the podcast. And so, uh, I don't want to blow too many... Uh, surprises for you but we have a lot of amazing friday conversations coming up i hope you enjoy it let me hear from you com slash dr lee warren don't forget the newsletter uh, dr lee com. we're going to be moving the podcast away from podbean and onto substack soon there's reasons for that that we'll talk about later um the most important reason for that is that uh, Podbean is running advertisements um, on the podcast that I wasn't aware of and some of them don't really line up with what my podcast is about or who I am or what we represent and so um, I I feel like it's time to gain more control back on my show and we're going to move away onto Substack where I have total control over what happens with my show and uh, make sure that no advertisements are running when I'm all about telling you every time that there's no ads (laughs) and then I find out they're actually running ads on the show in some parts of the world. So, without further ado, this Friday conversation, my friend, is very powerful and moving. It will help you help you make a good decision. Maybe maybe a good decision you could make is to pick up a Philip Yancey book for the first time. we got to go back to surgery today, Damon and I, for the fourth day this week and four weeks in a row having to operate on Friday or Saturday. Um, it's been a really busy time. Sometimes you need to press pause and, and reconnect with your faith and your spirit and kind of rebuild yourself. And Philip Yancey will help you do that. Um, and I think it's a great Friday conversation to start this series. We love you. Don't forget the newsletter, substack, com, and the prayer wall is Always there for you. w1md.com, slash prayer, my friend. Make a decision. Check it out with Philip Yancey today. And don't forget, you can't change your life until you change your mind and you get to start today. Today, I, I want to bring you an interview that I did with my spiritual mentor and my favorite, one of my very favorite writers, Philip Yancey. Um, the man needs no introduction. He's won the numerous Christian book awards. He's a New York Times bestseller. He sold I don't know how many, 30 or 40 million books. Um, But he just writes, his writing circles around pain and hope. And it always lands on hope and points you towards uh, the faith and hope that can be found in Jesus. And back in 2015, I had Philip on the podcast for the first time. And we just talked about some deep things that I just uh, feel led this morning to bring back to you. This episode has not been online and available for a while. And uh, normally, those old You Start Today episodes are only available for the patrons. But this one's a 40 something minute uh, interview conversation, really, that I had with Philip way back in 2015. And the reason I'm bringing it to you is Philip's coming back on the show. He and I are going to record a conversation next week uh, on June 4th, actually, to talk about a couple of books of his that are coming out that have recently come out or will soon be coming out. Um, one uh, that he released during the pandemic. He went back and uh, really did an amazing work of uh, working through John Dunn's work. Um, And he he released a book called A Companion in Crisis, a modern paraphrase of John Donne's devotions. He graciously sent Lisa and I an advanced copy of that. Um, And we're going to talk about how to find some peace and hope in the moment that you're in by going back and seeing how people have handled hard things in the past. And John Donne has done that um, really well with the little book that he wrote four centuries ago. And Philip brought that back to us in a modern way. And then Zondervan is re-releasing in a, in a slightly altered format, the book that really, one of the two books that really changed my life and saved my faith back in the nineties, which was Philip's uh, originally titled book, Uh, What's so amazing about grace? It's going to be re-released by Zonervan in a shortened form for modern readers. And I think it's so important and I'm so excited that they're bringing it back. And it's going to be called The Scandal of Forgiveness. So Philip and I are going to have a great conversation uh, that you'll be able to hear in a couple of weeks. And so I thought it would be fun and helpful to bring back the conversation from 2015 and then to bring back and remind you of the conversation that Philip and I had in 2020. Before that June 4th uh, recording, which you'll probably hear the week after that. And then we're going to have Philip back one more time for the fourth episode in October because he's releasing a book that I cannot wait to read. He's releasing a memoir of his life called Where the Light Fell. And that book is going to be very helpful. Uh, to you and to everyone uh, to see the story of faith through brokenness and hardship that Philip has walked in his life, and it's really going to be an inspiring and helpful book. So we're going to—Philip has uh, gifted us with some of his time for two more episodes coming up, and I thought in preparation for that, I want you to get to know this man who has made such a difference in my life. And so we're going to bring back today the first episode that Philip and I did together back in 2015. Remember when I'm bringing you older content that there's going to be, we're going to talk about some links that might not be active anymore. I can't control that. Um, So if I tell you, if you hear a website address in that episode and you try to go to it and it doesn't work anymore, that's because the internet changes. Uh, If there's something you really want, uh, some content that we refer to, then send me an email, lee at drleewarren.com, and I'll see if I can hunt it down for you. But just want to spend a few minutes today with Philip Yancey. This is a, a really great conversation that helped me th- work through some things back in 2015 in the, in the early days after we lost Mitch. And I think this will be very helpful to you. So I just wanted to get, reintroduce you to a person that's very important to me. And I know you trust me because you're here listening to me. So get to know Philip Yancey. If you haven't read his books, get to know them. My, my two sort of mentors in writing and, and Christian faith guides that have been very helpful to me are Max Lucado and Philip Yancey. they're sort of like Peter and Paul to me. Um, Max's books are easier to read. They're, they're not as, um, uh, intellectually challenging because he just gets right to the heart of what Jesus is about and everything is laid out and simple and easy to grasp so that you don't have to grapple with the, the big concepts because he just presents them to you in such an easy way Like Peter's writing is more accessible than Paul's. Peter even said that by the way there's a little shot he sends out to Paul that our brother Paul who sometimes says things that are hard to understand um, so Paul, I, I think a Philippians more like Paul, his writing is, is not easy to swallow, it's not easy to process it's you have to read a paragraph three or four times to sometimes get through it it's it's more like calculus than than multiplication it's it's difficult but it's difficult for a purpose because in grappling with those big questions and hard things you start to unwind that gordian knot and solve the rubik's cube of, of the issues that you're going through and that's that's related to me very well over the years and my my books are more hopefully in the middle of those two but Philip uh, says some things that you have to think about and really chew on for a long time. And so I want to bring this back to you. I want you to get to know Philip Yancey, and I want you to start today. Hey, my friend. When I was 30 years old, I hit a real wall in my faith. I believed in God, but life was hard. I knew I wasn't good enough to please God. I knew I'd made a lot of mistakes, and then I saw all kinds of bad things in the world. I wasn't sure if God loved me. I wasn't sure if the Jesus I'd been taught about as a kid was even real. And if he was, I wasn't sure if I liked him or if he liked me. I heard preachers talk about grace, but after 30 years of watching Christians, I hadn't seen a lot of it in practice. Then a friend told me about Philip Yancey. I read his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, and it literally changed my entire life. In Philip, I found a fellow questioner a writer who didn't pretend to know the answers but wasn't afraid to ask the hard questions, or as he said of himself in his book, What Good is God? I'm not a pastor, but a pilgrim, septic with doubt. In the years since, Philip Yancey has sold millions of books. He's won awards, traveled and spoken around the world, and kept asking questions. But he took the time to answer an email I sent him a few years ago, and we became friends. He even wrote the afterword to my book, No Place to Hide, I'm so excited to introduce you today to my spiritual mentor, my friend, and fellow Pilgrim, Philip Yancey. Hi, Philip. Welcome to You Start Today. Well, thank you very much, Lee. It's great to have you, but before we get going, I have one question for you. Okay. Are you ready to start today? I'm ready to start. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Philip Yancey is a native of Atlanta, Georgia. He earned graduate degrees in communications and English from Wheaton College and the University of Chicago. He joined the staff of Campus Life Magazine in 1971 and worked there for 10 years as editor and then publisher. Then Philip became a full-time writer, initially working as a journalist for publications like Reader's Digest, National Wildlife, Christian Century, and the Reformed Journal. For many years, he wrote a monthly column for Christianity Today Magazine, and he still serves there as editor-at-large. He's written over 25 books. The books have won 13 gold medallion awards from the Christian Publishers Association and have sold more than 15 million copies in English, among other 35-some-odd languages in the world. Christian bookstore managers selected The Jesus I Never Knew as the 1996 Book of the Year, and What's So Amazing About Grace received the same award in 1998. His most recent books are The Question That Never Goes Away and Vanishing Grace, Whatever Happened to the Good News. Philip and his wife, Janet, live in Colorado. And in addition to being an impressive rider and world traveler, he and Janet have both climbed all 54 of the 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado. It's such an honor to have Philip Yancey here with us on You Start Today.
1: You hear stories of people who have various uh, life experiences and then come to God. My story was like that, but it it wasn't... I was an alcoholic, and then I came to God, or I was a drug addict, and then I came to God. I I got converted from a really lousy church. <laughs> wow. I call it a toxic church, and it was... Uh, you're in Alabama, I know, and yeah. I, I grew up in the neighboring state, Georgia, and it was one of those angry, narrow-minded, fundamentalist churches that thought everybody was going to hell, and that was racist, And and I grew up in that crowd, and came away from that with kind of an allergy against religion, wow. against faith, against God. And then various things happened to, to show me a different way. And ever since, as a writer, I've had the privilege, and I really do consider it a privilege, to go back, pick up parts of my past, kind of scrub them off, figure out what is worth keeping and what is not. And that's what I do in my books. So most of my books not all of them but most of them have been very faith oriented about questions that that most of us ask at one time or another why does God allow terrible things to happen does prayer really make a difference you know those kinds of right. questions and we, we all ask them I'm privileged because I, I get to spend full time thinking about them researching them and then trying to come up with some answers for myself first that may um, possibly help somebody else along the way
0: wow that's and you've done that i mean over the course of your career your your books have asked kind of hard questions they're not fluffy books um they're not easy to read sometimes um but they made a huge difference in my life i've shared the, with the listeners uh how you your writing uh, especially what's so amazing about grace really kind of saved me um
1: mm-hmm. from
0: a similar church background and i thank you for mm-hmm. that um now, tell us a little bit about the kind of the work that you're doing now, um, about your most recent book, and, and and kind of what's in the future for you.
1: The most recent book really relates to what I've been talking about. It's called "Vanishing Grace: Whatever Happened to the Good News?" and surveys found have found that there's been a dramatic decline in how people view Christians. If you interview, do polls among. We'll call them outspiders. That's what the polls, pollsters often do. People who, when you ask them, what is your religious affiliation? Are you Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, or something else? You know, Muslim, Hindu, whatever. The, these people would check none. And not that long ago, in 1996, about 85% of the people who checked none, I don't have any religion, still had a positive impression of Christians. 85%. Uh-huh. Overwhelming majority. Not that much later, in 2010, if if they interviewed the young people who checked none, no religious affiliation, only 16% had a positive impression of Christians. And I, I have found in my own kind of informal surveys, when, I, when people ask me, what do you do for a living, you know, sitting next to me on an airplane and I start talking, I have found that the church may be as likely to turn someone away from God as to attract a person to God. And that's a problem for me. It's the one I understand because I grew up in one of those churches. But I wanted to find out why, what's happened, especially recently, to turn people away, and then to step back and ask myself, okay, what we have, what we believe is the really good news. Do we have some good news to offer the world? And that's the subject of this recent book.
0: Wow now outside of the you know the place of sitting and writing and and telling other people things that you think like in your in your real life if you will like what what struggles and and difficulties have you had to overcome in your life and and how do you deal with those things in your life
1: oh a lot of them relate to family i came from Rather unhealthy family. It's it's great for a memoir writer because yeah. you got wonderful material. That's right. <laughs> so you got a lot of very strange characters. You know, I I started looking for for books in the library that were memoirs, stories of southern dysfunctional religious families, and they. You know, it's almost a redundant phrase, you yeah. know, <laughs> because there are a lot of them out there, and uh, half of my family is is that and the other half is another crew entirely they're based in Philadelphia so overcoming some of the um, all of the strands that still encircled me from childhood and then as some of my relatives have aged uh, working with them and then also Lee because i I have written about pain and disappointment mm-hmm. and The very first book I wrote, actually, was a book called Where is God When It Hurts? As a result, I've been called to speak in different places, pretty tough places. Places like Virginia Tech, after the shootings there, and uh, Mumbai, India. We just happened to be in Mumbai, India that night. I was scheduled to speak. And then the bombings happened, the Taj Mahal Hotel, 175 people were killed. And much like September 11 here, the whole nation was in a state of shock. And I was asked to speak again that night. Wow! And then, probably the most recent one was um, in Newtown, Connecticut, December of 2012. Um, very horrific scene, as we know, and a, and just a tough speaking assignment. But I, I guess I believe that if my if my faith means anything, it's got to be able to speak to moments like that. And I've I've learned
0: that it does. Wow! So you've really been surrounded and immersed in the, really the, the the common question that we all hear of why does God let things like that happen? Like, like how do you how do you address that question when somebody asks you that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't try to answer the why question because I I don't think God has tried to answer the why question. Right. I, I don't see a good explanation of it in the Bible. But I do have a good a good sense of how God feels. It's almost instinctive when something bad happens to think, well, I, I did something wrong or God is against me, God is causing this. Right. And I'm strongly against that. As I've studied every situation in the Bible where someone was suffering, I just don't see that fact like when people like the Pharisees or Jesus disciples try to come up with a theory like that, Jesus would always contradict them. He would say it's not something he did wrong it's not something his parents did wrong
0: right
1: and yet he wouldn't fill in here's why it happened and um, yet we do know how God feels because we who are Christians believe that Jesus gives us the very best clue into how God feels and just follow Jesus around and see how he handles a, a widow who's lost her only son or even a Roman soldier whose servant fell ill what I like to say is, if you think we're upset by some of the things that happen in this world, God is far more upset. And God is on our side. He's on the side of the sufferer, and he plans to do something about it. He's not doing something about it in a dramatic way every time a bad thing happens. But first through the church, those of us who are here bringing comfort, the God of all comforts, a phrase I love from right. First Corinthians, bringing that comfort to other people and then we also believe that god is going to god's not finished with this planet he's not happy with it not satisfied and he has some major renovation work to do in the future and i don't know what that's going to look like but my my hope is based on that Uh, we're we happen to be talking right before the easter season and uh, that's that's the uh the paradigm that that we hope will apply to the whole universe what happened to jesus was a was a very sad tragic terrible thing but we now look back on it as good friday (laughs) right because because god can take anything that happens and somehow work out of it something good
0: that's right now how do you how do you explain philip the how one person experiences tragedy and draws closer to God and another person experiences similar tragedy and their faith is destroyed how do you how do you see that happening in different lives and, and how do you speak to that when you see it happening
1: that is a true mystery isn't it I remember reading a book where someone explored that very question of people who had survived the Holocaust so they had all been in in the death camps concentration camps but they were liberated by the Allies and these people went around and interviewed them about how it affected their faith. Because many of the Jewish people who were arrested and, and imprisoned like that were people of great faith. And right. they wanted to find out, okay, how did, how did that affect their faith? And they found out about 10% of the people just lost faith entirely. Uh, if No God could allow this gonna kind of happen. There can't be a God. About 10% of people had their faith greatly strengthened. As one rabbi said, uh, w- where else can you turn? That's all we had. We couldn't give up that last shred of faith. That's right. And then most of the people in between uh, really didn't change all that much. You know, it didn't push them one way or the other. Some of the, the stories that I have read have, that have moved me most are people who, who realized you know, at a time like that, It's our attitude that is really going to be a decisive factor in in how we survive or not. Viktor Frankl was a a psychotherapist who went through the camps and and developed a whole theory that the only thing we can control in a time like that is our response, our attitude. We can't control what they're doing to us. They're in control. They have all the power. But we can control, can something profitable be made from this and when i look at the new testament i see that all the time as as paul and peter and james the various authors write to people who are going through persecution much as christians in parts of the world are today they don't say hang in there it won't last they don't say "Um, just have more faith and it'll disappear but they do say something good can come out of it because no matter what your trial is whether it's this horrific kind of stuff happening in the middle east or whether it's a, a baby with some um, you know with some birth problems some special needs you're going to be living with they say these things can grow out of it patience and hope and perseverance and faithfulness these are qualities that are hard to learn
0: right.
1: unless you go through difficult times and i i think that's the emphasis not now, why did this happen, but okay, now that it has happened, can anything redemptive, anything good come out
0: of it? Right. That promise in Romans eight twenty eight about all things working together for good, that's one of those things that you, like when you've lost someone or when you're experiencing something difficult, that, that feels kind of hollow when people tell you that. You know, God will work yeah. this out for good. Yeah. Um, but I think I think the point is that he provides opportunity for us to find good later through that experience if we hold on is that is that is that it?
1: it it is and a lot of people when they hear that versely they they think it says for those who love god only good things will happen to you and yeah. it doesn't say that at all it's totally the opposite yeah it's that uh, all things that happen can be worked together between you and god for to produce good and, and Paul goes on later in that chapter and describes some of the things the things in his life. And he did not have an easy life. He had beatings and imprisonments and close escapes and shipwreck and snakebite. And he mentions a lot of those things. And yet he concludes very triumphantly saying, in, in spite of all of these things, they were used for good, for my good. And I believe that the foundation of the universe is God's love and nothing can ever get in the way of that he gives this whole uh, list of things you know death and our life or uh time or space or angels He just go through the whole list and and that's the lesson that he clings to going through hard times
0: you always find him somewhere in that and i think that's been true for us as we've gone through our our great trial of losing a child that we've mm-hmm. we've found ourselves closer to him i saw uh john piper wrote uh in his one of his devotionals last week uh that sometimes when you think you've hit rock bottom, you've really hit the rock of ages. Uh, that's good. And I like that line. So, hey, yeah. so okay, and in, in the listeners of this podcast, we talk a lot about this idea of, of starting today. When you when you come to some point in your life, when you realize that that you can't change what's already happened, you 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 can't be defined by it anymore. You can't let it hold you back anymore, and you and you can't count on what might happen tomorrow. But but you can you can do something today like when you when you hit that moment in your life that's what we we call a kind of a you start today moment so have you had one of those in your life is there some place where you came to where something had to give something had to change or you felt called to do something different and and, and explain that to me
1: the first thing that comes to my mind lee is an accident an auto accident i had in 2007 i was speaking in a neighboring state, New Mexico, on a book tour, and it was February, mountain roads in Colorado, I'm driving along, hit a patch of ice, and suddenly the Ford Explorer I was riding in started tumbling down a cliff. Oh my. went back and pasted it off later, and it went over and over five different times, just terrifying time, loud, crunching metal, every piece of glass was blown out, everything I I had in the car, skis and laptop and camera, were ruined all over the road wow. which was covered in snow and i kind of walked around dazed wondering is anybody kind of going to come down this remote <laughs> little road in the mountains and and uh, to make a long story short uh, some mormon missionaries who were planting a church happened by and one of them was involved with the ambulance corps, so they wow. made sure that i got to a hospital and and um uh, did some x-rays found out i had a broken neck pretty high up the c3 vertebrae wow. and uh, that that can be dangerous and I, I remember when the the doctor came in he said well we've we've done these uh cat scans and you've got a, a comminuted fracture one of these kind of crumbling type fractures in a lot of little pieces and what we're concerned about is whether it has punctured the carotid the uh i guess one of the vertebral arteries right, right. next to it and he said if that has we we've, we've got a set uh, a jet standing by you to fly you to denver but if if your artery is bleeding as we are afraid of you're not going to make it to denver so he said here's a here's your cell phone call the people you love and tell them goodbye just in case wow and boy that was one I, I mean i i was in pain but i i was fully conscious and had my faculties and and I'm thinking, I, I could be dead five minutes from now. Wow. <laughs> and so, as it turned out, uh, obviously the artery wasn't leaking because I'm here talking to you eight yeah. years later, but <laughs> but um, I I had, as it turned out, seven hours strapped down to a backboard like that as they're trying this and trying that, and, and I'm waiting for someone to come pick me up. Um, I, I had i had what you might call a come to jesus moment you know <laughs> and i uh i always wondered growing up in one of these hell brimstone churches that you know so well i always wondered if i faced death is all that going to come flooding back here i've been preaching grace for years and i believed in a loving god and and i was so pleased to have none of that fear to, to have a feeling of calmness and trust. Okay, even if I do die today, I trust the God who will welcome me. I trust that God is a gracious, loving God, and the things I've been writing about are true. And then when I came out of that, um, that start today moment, uh, for one thing, I went through what I call a, a days of grace, D-A-Z-E, days of grace, just right. walking around kind of dazed. Wow, grass, it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> The sky is so blue, especially in Colorado. Look at those clouds, aren't they great? You know, like a child yeah. discovering the uh, earth for the first time. And and some of the things that I thought were such huge problems that I struggle with all the time, issues in my marriage, for example, that I thought, we're never going to get through these. Uh, we'll stick together, but, you know, kind of grim-faced. They just didn't seem that important anymore compared to a wife who was... Willing, if I ended up paralyzed, paraplegia, she was willing to just jump into whatever was necessary to be a caregiver. Wow! So that was definitely a start to day moment for me, and frankly, that's why I'm I'm working on this, on this memoir. Uh, when I was younger, I would just choose, "Hey, this sounds like fun. I think I'll write that." Oh, that looks like fun. I think I'll write that. And I realized when I was lying there, you know, you may not have much time at all left. You know, when none of us know how much time we have left. So you need to invest that time you have in your work and your love in, in the people you love and uh, and and the reason you think you were put on earth so get that lined up and orient your your life around that instead of just whatever
0: looks fun at the moment wow, wise words so you obviously came through and you've done well and you've had a quite a career after that uh, event but that was that was quite a motivator in your life. Um, it's encouraging to me to hear you say that that your faith wasn't really challenged. That you that you found comfort in your faith in that hard time. That that um, I guess all of us wonder what will what what will happen to us if we're faced with such an such an encounter. So that's that's good news that your faith was strong. Uh, in your dark hour. Hey, I have a couple of uh, listeners that have sent in questions, uh, if you don't mind, Philip. I'd like sure. to to uh, let uh, Arthur from Alabama has a question.
1: Hi, I'm Arthur Moore from Prattville, Alabama. Here my question is, how do you deal with when family and friends find out that you are a Christian and they start to use the word of God and quoting scriptures to get what they want from you such as to get money or to get you to do something for them, knowing that, for well, that they are not believers in God or Jesus Christ, and when they use those things just purely for their gain, and they want to test your belief and your faith in God and Christ. Well, that's quite a question. I, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. <laughs> it's a good I, question. It is a good question, and um, I notice when I read the Gospels, I notice that Jesus seems to have the hardest time with people just like Art described, <laughs> people who are kind of sanctimonious and quote the Bible to him, and they're always trying to pin him down and judge him and get their hooks in him. And especially if you combine that with family, oh my goodness, yeah, a <laughs> make <that's the> challenge. Because <laughs> family, know, they know what buttons to push. And um, in, in my own case, my family uh, often disapproves of what I write, choices I make, and it's important for me not to get sucked in and let them determine for me what I believe is important, what I believe is right. So uh, I, I would say to Art, um, they're family, you got to deal with them, um, you can do, you can keep from letting them determine your life, they'd still do it with a gracious style. Don't let them quote scripture and try to get you to do things that you know are wrong. Jesus didn't do that. I mean, just look at the conversations he had with the Pharisees. They're always scolding him about this and that, and he just blows them off and and blows them away sometimes. He has some pretty stern words. And yet, um, the people who were sincere, he always reached out to, treated with with great grace. It's, it's tricky being family, because uh, there are all these subconscious ties between us that we can't do anything about. Uh-huh. But I, I, I'm encouraged, Art, to hear you say that you you know when it's right and when it's not right, and uh, don't don't compromise, don't compromise what you're convinced is truth. And yet, uh, at the same time, try to do it in a, in a gracious style and, uh, and just say, well, I, I see things differently. <laughs> and I have to make my own choices as you do. And they may be different, but I, I still love you. You're still my brother. You're still my uncle, wh- whichever family member it is. Uh, try to do both at the same time.
0: That's great. Great question. Great answer, Philip. Thank you. We have one more uh, question from Mark in North Carolina. Hi, Philip. My name is Mark. I
1: recently heard another author say that great writers are great readers. I was wondering what books you're reading right now, maybe one from fiction and one from non-fiction, people that you think are great writers. Thanks. You're absolutely correct that the way to become a better writer is just to keep reading people who are better better writers than you are. <laughs> That's the only way to learn. It's just like uh, if you play tennis with someone who's who's not nearly as good as you are, you, you're not going to improve. you yeah. got to pr- play with people who are better. And um, I have an easy answer to that. It's not exactly what I'm reading right now, but I, I wrote a book called Soul Survivor that tells of people, great writers, who who inspired me. Some of them are old-time people like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, but also there were some I, I interviewed in person, Frederick Buechner, Henry Nell, and people like that. And um, if you want to know the kind of people I gravitate toward, those would be the kind of people. I uh, Recently, I, I've mostly been reading memoirs because it, it's a new form for me to write. And when I... When I try something new, I want to go to the good people. I I counted up the other day. I read about 250 memoirs in the last few years. Wow! Just one after the other, trying to find out what makes a good memoir. Um, what can I learn? And every one of these books stimulates something out of childhood memories or whatever that that I wouldn't have thought of if I had not read that book. So, um, if if you want to know my taste in books, pick up pick up soul survivor and uh one of these days on my facebook or website or something i'll publish some of the memoirs that really stand out to me too um and uh, i just encourage you to keep reading i'm encouraged to find out that there are people out there who are who are actually still reading books
0: there are are many so we do a we do a book a week challenge on the website and lots of folks including mark write in uh, and tell us what they're reading every week so oh wow that's great so um One more question, uh, someone who wished not to be identified um, said, I'm a Christian, I try to live my life correctly, I try to do everything right, and my life never stops being hard. Mm Philip, why does life always have to be so hard? So hard.
1: I remember a book that was a bestseller a number of years ago, and I, I got to know the author a little bit, and that is The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. Right. And I remember the very first line, life is difficult. <laughs> that's the first sentence he came up with. And frankly, if, if I was trying to sell a book, that's probably not the first sentence I would come up with. But right. it became this huge bestseller because people identify, just like this listener. People identify. Yeah, you're right. It is difficult. So what do we do about it? What do we do? I... I'm old enough, I'm 65 this year and It's one of those hallmark times when you kind of look back on life And and we go through seasons There are some seasons that are really hard I was giving a talk a few places overseas And I talked about the seasons of our faith Going through springtime, summertime, fall, and winter And winter is the tough time That's uh, You know about that Lee and losing right. son and, and of course you saw many people going through that when you were in service in Iraq people who are you know losing body parts and their whole lives changed and um and and one thing that struck me as I was thinking about winter I came across a line from a botanist that I'd never thought of before and that was he said he said in the winter trees look dead I look out my window right now I live in Colorado there's there's not a leaf on the deciduous trees. They just they look like dead sticks. Right. I don't know whether this aspen is dead. Will will come back to life in spring or not? It'll look dead. But the botanist will tell you that it actually does most of its growing in the winter season. Mm. It puts down roots. That that's where the main growth occurs, and and if it doesn't happen, then it won't come back to life in springtime. And I've seen that again and again. I remember going to. Uh, to some of these places like Newtown and, and Virginia Tech and uh, even mega disasters like the Japan tsunami and see seeing in person how communities pulled together, Hurricane Katrina you know, the way churches pulled together and the, and the survivors pulled together and, and became stronger and that's happened again and again it, it's just after September 11 the United States, you know we we don't turn away from each other we pull together at a time like that and that a uh, winter season can be one of the times of growth when you're in the middle of it you can't see it you're just trying to stay alive you're just trying to survive but later you can look back and say huh now i understand there are things that happened during that period that nourished everything that has happened since
0: wow that's that's exactly right and and great advice thank you for taking those questions philip and and, and for just giving us this time uh, today, it's it's been a great uh, opportunity to have a conversation with you. And um, just a couple more things. If folks want to connect with you, Philip, um, what's the best way that they can uh, get to know you a little better?
1: I do have a website and Facebook. I don't do Twitter yet. I keep getting <laughs> publishers trying to twist my arm. But I, I don't know. It takes me more than, what is it, 140, 160 characters yeah. to twist something. <laughs> So um, the Facebook is just my name, Philip Hansi, and then uh, the same with the with the website. And I I'm not on there every day. I try to think of uh, of something worth saying before I post, and um, and try to keep it from picking over my life. I <laughs> you know, I need to keep writing these books as I go, but uh, that's probably the best way. And I want to also say, Lee. Uh, how wonderful it's been to connect with you uh we have a, we have a lot in common and i i love your books you've got i don't know how you do all you you do these podcasts and
0: mm.
1: and the newsletters and the music and uh <laughs> and then oh yeah by the way you do surgery every once in a while too, right. you know? but uh, uh we've both been touched by by some of the same authors and um it's been a joy. I hope I hope all your listeners by now have have bought your book and read it because it's it's great, and I expect much more down the road from you.
0: Well, thank you, sir. And, you know, I've told the folks this before, but my book probably wouldn't be in existence without you. And and I I love that we've developed a friendship and and, uh, just have so much respect for you. And I I thank you uh, for the work that you're doing and and the lives that you're touching. And and, uh, just really, really, really appreciate you, Philip. Thank you so much. Have, uh have one more question. Um, okay. So <laughs> this is always the last question I ask people, and I think it's the most important one. Somebody out there is stuck in some place in their life, whether it be in their faith or in some difficult situation. How? What's Philip Yancey's advice for them to help them start today to, to make tomorrow better than today?
1: Hmm. I mentioned that uh, Scott Peck wrote this book, The First Whose Was Life Is Difficult. And I, I almost think that that life should come with a with a warning label on the wrapper. Um, I remember seeing advertisements on television for some difficult thing, and it'll say, "You know, professional drivers do not practice this in your home." Right,
0: right.
1: <laughs> life should come with a label: uh, "Do not practice this alone." That to me is the key, because when we when we isolate ourselves and we try to bear these hard times alone, it just weighs you down. Find people a supportive community. For some, it's family. For In my case, it really wasn't. For some, it's church. Some people have a hard time with church. But just don't do it alone. I have seen these surveys. I mean, you, you do surgery all the time, Lee, and you, you know what it takes for people to recover. And you can't say to people, look, you know, if you just pray hard enough, then God will heal you and you won't need the surgery. It just doesn't happen. It may happen every once in a while, but it's, right. it's a miracle. It's not an ordinary thing. But you can not say this. You can say if you are connected with a community that loves you, especially a community of faith, you will recover faster and better.
0: That's right. And
1: the reason is the things that keep us from recovering are things like guilt and fear and anxiety and stress. And if, if you've got people who will take care of the food you need and make sure you have a right to the doctor and look after your kids or look after your dogs, you don't have to worry about those things, then you can use all your emotional health to line up with the rest of your body, and spiritual health, physical health, and, and get your body back where it should be. So that, I guess that's what I would say. Not, not all of us are recovering from surgery, but the same principle applies in anything we go through. Don't practice it alone. Find some people that you can lean on and then people who can lean on you when, you when you're in a healthy place. We go through these seasons. And the only way to survive is for us to develop the kind of community that gives us strength whatever season we're in.
0: Well said, sir. And, Philip, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And God bless you very much.
1: I enjoyed it. Good questions, Lee, and the rest of your listeners out there.
0: Thanks, Philip. That was a great conversation, and it was a real honor to have you on the show today. I learned so much from you, as always. My friend, let's look at Philip's story through the lens of our five truths for this year that we've been working through on the podcast. Number one, past losses can teach us, but they cannot define us. Philip found God in spite of being raised in a judgmental, toxic church.
1: I got converted from a really lousy church.
0: You know, he had to overcome this church abuse, bad theology, racism, and the amazing ways in which the church can keep us from seeing who Jesus really is. Number two, massive change requires massive action. Philip had to resurrect his faith, and he did it by leaning into the hard questions his upbringing had implanted into him.
1: And I grew up in that crowd and came away from that with kind of an allergy against religion against faith against god
0: he had an allergy to church because of bad you know people in the church not the church itself but people who just didn't get it right and philip had to overcome that allergy to church by getting to know jesus number three if you want to feel better you have to do better philip rejected the prison of his past and decided to work hard to move into his future
1: And then various things happened to to show me a different way. And ever since, as a writer, I've had the privilege to go back, pick up parts of my past, kind of scrub them off, figure out what is worth keeping and what is not. And that's what I do in my books.
0: Number four. Peace is achievable in spite of circumstance. For Philip, the family and church difficulties he'd faced made him realize he needed a community of people to help him find peace and strength. He found that in the global church of people who knew the answer to his own question, what's so amazing about grace?
1: We go through these seasons, and the only way to survive is for us to develop the kind of community that gives us strength whatever season
0: we're in. Number five. The time to start is today. You start today, my friend. As Philip said, life ought to come with a warning label, but it doesn't. Life is hard and there are no guarantees. But when you know that you're being called to the fact that you can no longer let your yesterdays define your tomorrows, that's when you start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Doctor Lee Warren Podcast is listener supported. Check out patron.podbean.com slash doctor Lee Warren. That's patron podbeancom slash Patrons and partners get free books, transcripts, special patron-only episodes and more. And partners like you allow us to stay ad-free and keep growing. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com drleewarren.substack.com Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together